And now, Gen Con tips from Under Discussion, the Undergopher podcast. Tip one, shower. Tip two, at least two meals a day. Tip three, bathe. Tip four, get at least three hours of sleep a day. Tip five, bathe. Tip six, arrive early. Tip seven, shower. Tip eight, don't overschedule. Tip nine, shower. Tip number ten, remember to tip. Tip eleven, bathe. Tip twelve, play something new. Tip thirteen, shower. And remember your deodorant. Under Discussion, the Undergopher podcast can be heard at undergopher.com or facebook.com slash underdiscussion. And check us out on iTunes. This is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 90, Theater of the Mind. And with me, as always, is Mr. Tom Church. And with us, special guest, Bill. Yes, this is Tom. Say hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. You can, you can rotate the mics. Again, I, I Say I it again so they can enough. hear you. You can rotate the mics. But- but Tom looks at me hungrily when I rotate the mic. Yeah, well, that's just... I do that to everyone. That's the way I, that's the way I make friends. That's oh, why I have none. Tom doesn't share mics. Very... <laughs> like Joey. I <laughs> doesn't share food. Yeah, 90s kids. All right, so... Whoa, topical! Uh, in this episode... <laughs> not really. Uh, in this episode... <laughs> really the opposite of topical. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, GM descriptions versus players' interpretation. Uh, and more specifically, what happens when the GM says something, the player gets a totally different picture in his theater of the mind than the GM. Uh, I've heard it happens sometimes in the film industry and other it, things. Well, it happens in role-playing games all of the time. Uh, it seems like there's always... it. So, but what happens with us? We're not. We don't put millions of dollars in delays as we try to fix the problem. Right. Exactly. So, so uh, we're more innocent and better. So, we three GMs will uh, give us how we describe situations we and uh, what we do. Orientar. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's called art. Build as barbershop quartet because he does. So he does. Uh, I will try to keep the singing to a minimum. Uh, uh, I don't. But it's like constrained. it's like resisting what comes naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, though, we do have a bit of news. Uh, base Raiders. I finally sent off the first draft of the playtest uh, version of it. 220 pages of Base Raider goodness. If you're a high-level backer, you got that. You uh, totally did. If you want, It's still missing the last two chapters, which are Adventure <coughs> Advice and the 10 NPCs. In, in 10 NPCs being a stretch goal, so uh, that took a little longer to work. And uh, and so Base Raiders is a little bit behind schedule. Uh, I plan to get the, the final... Well, not the final, but the, the complete playtest draft out before Gen Con. Then I'll give you guys a month to look it over, uh, give feedback, and then I'll print the book. And you'll get it in the mail at some point in the future. And it'll become a thing in reality. And I will only have to rob a few convenience stores to pay for international shipping. because Brent inter- Ross's book. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks there, Bill. Yes. Uh, I'm helping. Yes. So- and Ross is not kidding. He will totally... Hold up any place I he needs. I will probably have to, given how expensive international shipping has gotten from when I launched that Kickstarter. And now it's like tripled in price, which is fun. Uh, so uh, if you... Are we, should we go ahead and do a thanks, Obama, for that? I don't really think it's Obama's fault. What What, what are you talking about, Ross? Okay, thanks, Obama. It's everything. Does that, Remember? Does that satisfy you? Everything. I just, I just did it. Like you had a cold. That's Obama's fault too, right? All right. Thanks, Obama. There you go. Again. Thank yeah. you. I, that was the second Gee, time I said it. That was horrible, Ross. All right. Death panels. <laughs> Death panels. <laughs> All right. And uh, so topical. Yeah. topical. Derailed. So uh, if you have concerns about, it, I know some people have looked at it. Uh, keep in mind that this is not based on Fate Core. This is based on Strange Fate, which comes from the Kerberos Club version of the Fate Rules. The, the a good book. The rules by the way. are about over fifty thousand words, with another ten thousand words. 
10,000 words worth of rules that I've added. So it's about 60,000 words worth of rules. That's just rules, not counting the setting chapters, you know, talking yes, about history. Uh, so Fate Core itself is 80,000 words. And instead of giving aspects uh, a separate chapter, I put it within playing the game, chapter seven. Uh, but there are PDF bookmarks, so you can find aspects, skills, conflicts, all the rules you need. So... I think if you actually if you look through it, you, you should be able to find everything you need. It's not organized exactly like Fate Core, so please do not be alarmed by that. Uh, I like Strange Fate because it does superpowers well. Uh, Fate Core really doesn't have anything on superpowers yet that I've I've seen uh, that really looks satisfactory. So, uh, but we'll, I'm sure they will have it. Or uh, so, anyways. So that's about fate, enough about base raiders. Uh, next up, we have Transhuman, uh, the Eclipse Face book. We, that's coming out. Uh, the PDF will be for sale August 7th. And uh, then the book will come out about a month or two after that. And uh, Caleb and I uh, wrote for it. So you can find our names. And the th- name of the uh, thanks, special thanks to the RPPR crew for the Eclipse Face. That's all of us. Yes. Uh, yeah. I wasn't there for that. You were in the one shot, the very first Eclipse Face game we ran. So you were in that. I'm still a sad panda. But not a sad panda crime boss. Spoiler alert. No. <laughs> uh, and if you think that if you think that's not cool, then you're you fail as yeah, a human being. Pretty much. So um, look out for that. It's got if you're Eclipse Flays player, it has a lot of new rules for morphs, acings, uh, nanofabrication, moxie, like all kinds of crazy cool stuff. Uh, so it's a must-have for uh, Eclipse Flays players. Uh, finally, uh, we're going to Gen Con. Yes, yes, we, well, um, not, Most of not us Bill, are. I'm sorry. Not Bill. I'm sorry. He, I'm married and employed. What can I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For whatever his responsibilities, and I'm putting up quotation marks and in the air. And his life, and Man. his good life, that is. That is what he has. Having a good job in this economy <laughs> and uh, a stable relationship. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez what the Owning hell, home? Man. Yeah. What's all, it's. Just, What's up? What is up with that? Weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I will throw away everything for a three day convention in Indianapolis. You talked me into. Um, hey, dude, four day. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole me. extra day. That that day. It's the makes best. All the difference. It's the best four days in gaming. Okay. <laughs> all right. So for those of you who will be at Gen Con, uh, the RPPR meetup is on Friday night, not Thursday, because uh, can't not on Thursday because Caleb and I have prior commitments, uh, so we can't make it. Uh, but Friday, 6 p.m., uh, that's August 16th, 6 p.m. at the Hyatt Lobby in Indianapolis. Uh, we'll all meet yeah. up. We'll so anyone who wants to hang out with me at, like, Ruth's food. Chris or somewhere, I'll, you know, you can do that. Yeah, Tom's got, I'm running two games there. That's all I'm officially there yeah, to do. I'm not uh, doing anything official, but if the fans want to, I could do something, you know, for the RPPR fans. Tom's yeah. doing everything unofficial. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Thought we agreed not to talk about that. <laughs> All right. I didn't name any names. But now that we are talking about it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, if you if you want to uh, try and co- coordinate other games, Tom, or something like that, you can post on the RPG. And I'll be bringing my message, own. Re- I'll be bringing uh, my or- own recorder, so everything's going to be all awesome. It'll, I, I, I will yeah. make you more internet famous than so you already are. Post on the RPR, uh forums uh, in the Gen Con thread. Uh, Gen Con 2013 thread to coordinate other games, meetups, uh, mini meetups, or whatever you want to do. Uh, so uh, I know I'll try and run something. Uh, depending on how many people show up, we might play. Do you worship Cthulhu? We might play the Quiet Year. We might play Fiasco. I yeah. don't know. I got a couple of uh, Call of Cthulhu scenarios I could whip. Yeah. I could run quickly. 
Uh, Play Slasher Flick with like half a dozen people. It'll yeah. work great. Yeah, we'll yeah, talk about totally, Slasher Flick uh, later It will on. totally not be, uh, it'll totally not be a clusterfuck. It will be a clusterfuck. It'll be the best clusterfuck. It, it could be, it could be. But it so, will be a clusterfuck. So. We've said a lot of swear words in the last few seconds. Spoilers. Uh, so, uh, so keep that in mind and, uh, we're looking forward to having a lot of fun. So, uh, anyways, let's get to the main topic. And of course we have, uh, anecdotes and shout outs later on in this episode. So, and a letter from Tom. I do. You better, it better I be totally right. wrote that shit. Good. I put words on paper. You are a barbarian. I know, right? You, I am looking at the paper. It is covered in words. Words. Not entirely. Like, there is white space still there, like, uh, above the... Well, yeah, okay, we're not talking, like, schizophrenic Not know, like scribbles seven... Or, yeah. Yeah, it's not, not quite... Do not look level. between the spaces of words, for you are not supposed to look there. <laughs> there we go, get a little Lovecraftian uh, right there. Yeah, you, you Caleb's, also, Caleb's gonna write a scenario about the creature that lives in between paragraphs, right? Yeah. That's coming. Uh, you just lost sanity. Oh, man, that is no security part two. (laughs) (laughs) You thought you didn't have anything you were afraid of. I'll make you afraid of all the things. Yeah, there's a demon (laughs) hidden between the spaces of words in this Dostoevsky novel. Look for it. (laughs) All right, so we've been derailing quite a bit enough. Uh, So the the, uh, origin of this episode, of this episode idea, came from Tribes of Tokyo. Not a dream, trust Uh, me. No. It was not a dream. uh, Tribes of Tokyo, there was a lot of very... Concrete uh, planning and tactical action <laughs> that involves concrete. Uh, well, that's a building. That's a building substance. It is, and the opposite of abstract. Yes, uh, like I'm going to be positioned at this exact place in order to get the drop on the bad guys and do this, this, yeah. and that. And in particular, there's one upcoming game. I think it's the next one, <coughs> episode three or four, uh, that's coming up where the players amb- try to ambush some bad guys. Uh, some biker gang members in a hotel. They're going to a hotel room to try and grab somebody. And the players have set this up. They know that the hotel room's empty. They're in the hotel room behind it, uh, across the hallway. So they're trying to get the drop on it. And what they didn't realize is uh, Caleb thought he could look through the people or they thought, you guys thought, the players thought that you could look through the people and see everyone down the hallway. But the, the way I had pictured it in my mind's eye, in my theater of the mind, is that the the room, the lobby, or the the sort of waiting room where the elevators are, there is sort of a recessed wall. So somebody could be leaning against that corner, and you wouldn't see them from the peephole in the middle of the hallway. And so when the players open the door to get the jump on the guys in the hallway, they don't see the two waiting by the elevator door. And that was like, what? What's going on? You know, they're like, what? That's not. Wow, that was a great impression of what our words were, Ross. Yeah. Like, what is That's, it's all clicks and whistles to me when you guys are all bitching about <laughs> Yes, shit. I tend to speak neo-citation whenever I have a problem with you, Ross. As read by Whenever Tim you're Allen. complaining about things in my game, I just, it's all in one ear out the other. I don't. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Someone watching Flipper in here? Yeah. <laughs> is that uh, one of the adults from a Charlie Brown cartoon? But I realized, like, Topical. There, was, there was sort of, like, from my brain to your brain, there was kind of a misunderstanding. and Slight lag, if you will. Well, a slight, like, lost Ma- Map corruption. Yeah, yeah. For those of a you data. who didn't know, Ross is not a telepath. Yeah, and, and neither are the players. Uh, like, and I have to say that, otherwise he tortures the inside of my brain continuously. So let's just go, like, what happened, what do you, like, when you're designing a scene, like, I you always have a very concrete, like, very specific view of what the, <laughs> sure. what the area there is, where they are, what's going on, what's available, what's around them. Uh, it's very specific, and so when the players try and do something that contradicts my mental image, they're like, whoa, hey, there's, there's sort of like a, you know, a, a derailment. Uh, we have to sort of pick up from there. 
so for Bill, first, when you're describing a scene, like how specific, how how malleable is it uh, in your mind's eye hmm. when you're describing a scene as a GM? You know, there, there's kind of a spectrum there, and I think it has a lot to do with system. Um, if I'm yeah. playing it, if I'm running a system like D&D that sort of lends itself yeah. to sort of externalizing and making explicit all that stuff, like drawing maps and all that, uh, that tends to make <coughs> me sort of visualize what I'm doing a little bit less because I'm hoping to just draw it out or what have you. On the opposite end, uh, when you initially started talking about this topic, I was thinking of... Uh, pardon don't rest your head uh yeah and for like all the different scenes in there i can tell you if i had any art skills whatsoever i could you know really do some magnificent art right. of uh like all the different scenes i had in my because because it is so very description heavy to sort of build that atmosphere and because there's not really anything where positioning is going to be important other than in, a, in an ad hoc kind of way like yeah i have fucking fantastic set fucking dressing tax, for that man. yeah so are there game but are there game systems where it's like very more malleable and you're not very very you i mean you've given two examples of very explicit things like don't mm-hmm. like in D D, like you're sure. sort of opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum yeah well um so, so if a player describes something, trying to do something like, <laughs> I pick up the trash can, and in your in don't rest your head, you'd be like, well, all right, I guess there could be a trash can, but mm-hmm. you're like, no, look at the map, there's no trash can. So mm-hmm. that's basically your your what you're saying. Pretty much, okay. uh, if the system lends itself to like making those things explicit, yeah, then I'm gonna draw something out and say, play it as it lies. Right. On the other hand, if it's more given to like. Like, especially if it's a thing that you could re-ask as a question, you know, like, is there a trash can there I can pick up? It doesn't bug me to say, yes, it makes sense for there to be a trash can on the city street. Okay. All right. So, Tom? I kind of think as much the the amount of description I put into something is kind of dictated by the game, the game I'm playing. Okay. Yeah, like honestly, (laughs) yeah, it's the same thing that's kind of along the same lines. But if if I'm running D&D during a combat, doesn't matter what the room looks like as long as I can sketch out what's on it because well, well you pull out the five by the, yeah, the one but it doesn't it doesn't matter it, yeah because yeah, it doesn't because you're not gonna you're not gonna look for an improvised weapon to attack with you're not you don't care if you know what you know what what, well, is the, what, like, is the, what does the statuary the fountain statuary look like in the center of the room you don't care because it's it's just gonna be in the background while you're fighting enemies well, okay. Like uh, on the other hand, if you're in a, a haunted manner, but yeah, if it, but if it's, if it's a game, it's a, you're in the ballroom. But, yeah, but if it's a game that lends itself right. to that, that's kind of when I try to. Well, well here, here's a question for that then. Um, if let's say you're playing D and D and it takes place in a haunted manner that has been abandoned for like a hundred years, uh, the player is on the top of the staircase uh, and they want to attack an enemy who's on the ground floor. They say, "Well, I jump on the chandelier and swing over and hit him in the face." Would you say you haven't you haven't previously thought? Would you say like? Well, there could, I mean, uh, there would be chandeliers in a manor, but like it's abandoned. The chandelier could have fallen over, been looted well, long ago. In that, okay, in like, that case, would you let the player decide or would you just make the ruling yourself? First of all, if there's a player that wants to do that, well, in combat and D&D, yeah. like they want to try to make it cinematic, I'm going to help them make it cinematic. So I would you're, much, you give players Yes, I would much rather, I'd much rather have a cinematic combat than straight up numbers and grids. Okay. So yes, in that case, if it, as long as they don't do something stupid like, okay, we're in a haunted mansion, like, okay, is there a crane I can swing from? Like, yeah. no. But if I, but if it's within a very wide realm of logic, say like a chandelier, like, could I swing out and it's like, 
yes, thank Christ, yes, you can do that. Yeah. Thank you, like, thank you for actually wanting to throw some life into this combat. So I think, I think description's important for kind of like two things, really, like investigation and combat. Mm-hmm. I think the more you throw in in those two things, because obviously if you're trying to find something, if you're like, in, like looking through a hotel room looking for something, you want to know exactly what the hotel looks like, exactly where everything is. And it's the same thing in combat. If you you want to run a combat where you want to encourage, uh, use that floor lamp as a weapon, or or it's just a sewing kit. Have a bunch of needles in this hotel room that actually still has the sewing kit. Mm-hmm. You know, like you want that kind of stuff really to, for those two things. Okay. So that's if it's those two things I'm doing, I really try to lay on the description and. I'm much better at this, obviously, in certain certain settings. Right. I think I'm better in modern Systems. day stuff than I am in fantasy and whatnot. Right. Right. I mean, for me though, I'm I'm very much like it is what it is, and like if it's I know even like in uh, uh, one of the more recent uh, I Fortunes of War episode, like they say, Ross, you there should be a chandelier. And I'm like, nope, there wasn't. Like I didn't picture one in my head. There's no chandelier. I don't give a shit. It, there's no chandelier. That's just how it is. So uh, now, if it's something I haven't thought of, and it like it could like if it is something that would make sense to be there, if it's thematically appropriate, and it's not something yeah. that I have decided. I haven't made a ruling on in my head, then yeah, I could like I wouldn't like necessarily give it to the players, but I would give them a luck chance, a moxie yeah. roll, or like odds are even. Prepare or a preparedness roll, I mean the one roll right. engine. Right. But yeah, no, I think yeah, thematically well, it's like if it's thematically important and enhances the fun of the game, that's usually when I'm for it. Okay. But yeah, I mean for me, I never even if it is appropriate or like it would be mm-hmm. thematically cool or something, I don't necessarily give it to the players. I always want it like it's gotta be ran there's gotta be a certain sense of like I don't <coughs> giving the players narrative control total narrative control or too much narrative control, I think is I no, I I agree. Like so, it, you, there should be a mechanic for it, like in case Moxie. Right. If you have luck points in a game or yeah. That's why I'm beginning to favor newer systems like yeah. Gumshoe with Some, like, preparedness. Yeah. yeah, sometimes sometimes I'll just kind of do it like, all right, I'll get like take like a D10 like odd or even. Yeah, I'll do something like that. Well, some yeah, kind yeah, yeah. some kind of randomness. Yeah, I, unless unless it's an idea I just think is too cool for words. Right. Sometimes I'll just go, no, it's there. That's okay. brilliant. It's there. I've noticed you doing that. Yeah, I've seen you doing. That. I much I much prefer to you know I much prefer to do that in the game, especially uh, if it's something I would never have thought of. And I'm like, I, I kick myself for not having think. And sometimes I make I can make them think, yeah, I had totally planned to have that in there. It was not the player's idea, not at all. Um, so, so in terms of objects or the external environment, that's fine. But um, if it's not something that's previously been contradicted, uh, I think so. That's one area. Well, but what happens when I think like, in the case of like you know when there's like when, when the uh, players have a different idea? Yeah. I think it's, it's pretty clear because when I plan something in my head, I usually – I always have a model for it. Like yeah. either from a movie I just saw or a place I've actually been. Yeah. So in the case of that hotel room, right? if I were to think of a hotel hallway, I would think of like any of the hotel hallways I've been in. Right. And I have a very clear picture and – but it's a lot easier to have it in my head than it is to convey that to the players. Right. Well, that that's sort of the crux of the issue. Yeah, How do you do that? And I think what yeah. happens when the players get the wrong idea? Like in the, the hotel room, the players thought they could see down the hallway and see if there's anyone else other than the three thugs. Not so in my mind's eye, there's a place that the two the fourth and fifth thug could hide <coughs> that they wouldn't see from their room. So does that make sense? Or- <coughs> yeah. You know, I think there's actually something to be said for like 
just sort of table mastery here on yeah. the player's part that like thinking of what questions to ask, like in terms good, of yeah. like it tends to my play style, like to either try to think, to ask the question, do I see any obvious blind spots with this view I'm getting from the people? And, you know, as a player, I, if I don't think to ask that question, I, I have a hard time feeling bad about there having been blind spots. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think, no, that's a really good point. I really love players who ask questions and try to get a sp- really detailed understanding of it. Yeah. And also I, I think, I think a couple of us were unclear that we were looking through a peephole and not just looking out in the hallway. Right. Cause you wanted to stay hidden. Exactly. But, and, but a case of like, I think it's also sometimes players just miss things too. Well, yeah. I, 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 I actually didn't realize he was talking about looking through the people. I thought he was like kind of sticking his head out the door. Right. But yeah, the people, like, I, I've, I've looked through people. You can't see. The other there's two, no, right? yeah. there's, there's no, you can see directly in front of you, which is what they're designed yeah. to and, do. You know, right? and, I mean, and that'd be a great comedic moment to have like some horrible Yakuza guy with looking all wall eyed as he's staring into the peephole. Yeah. But uh, it, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I think it, I, if it's not just the description of the area, it's also just the awareness of what the other players are doing. Right. Well, so in this case, um, Again, so the players act on what they perceive as correct mm-hmm. as incorrect. Right? They think, "Oh, there's and only we didn't three ask, guys." We didn't ask questions, right? Because we, we thought we we thought we knew exactly what what it was, right? So you you spring into action. You guys take out the three guys fairly easily, or you take out two of them, and you're engaged in with a mm-hmm. third. So you're you're then the two guys look around the corner and they're like, "Oh shit!" And then of course one of them has a gun because I'm me and I'm a horrible monster and uh, and they're like, "What? How could there be two guys? We look down the hallway." And that's that's sort of like, "What? What do you do?" I mean, I know what I did in that circumstance. I'm like, "Well, deal with it," uh, you know, because that's it. Uh, I mean, I did allow some take back, some modifications of it. Like, I wouldn't have done that if I'd known that blah, blah, there would be this. And I think part. that's, once again, false to exactly what Bill just said is, as players, you need to ask questions. Well, what would happen? I mean, it's not always going to happen, though. So what do you do oh, I think that's when an, there's well, a contradiction? It's not going to happen every time, but I think that, that's an important first step. Yeah. Is to don't just assume you've yeah, got you it all in your brain. you want to avoid these kind of situations at all. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, Bill, what do you usually do? Like, both as a GM or as a player? Well, as a GM, I think my inclination would actually be to sort of allow a certain amount of um, modification, but sort of with an eye to cause and effect. Yeah. Like if it's sort of, you know, this is a terrible analogy, but think of it like running an old version of Microsoft office. You can undo (laughs) one thing, but we're not going to hold any more than that. Yeah. So like essentially if you're getting sort of causationally back past that first layer, (laughs) to me, yeah. Why? I'm not going to just reset the whole thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, to me that, uh, you know, I am a consummate metagamer, but that smacks a lot of (laughs) metagaming. Well, I mean, the thing is like the players themselves, if like the the player characters, the characters who were went through that hotel and were hiding in that room would know that there is a blind spot from where they could see. They know that there could be bad guys there and they wouldn't know about it. So the player characters could then make the players could make the argument. Well, we would have set up a hidden video camera in that room so we could see whoever is coming out of that elevator. But then again, and that, uh, then it kind of gets the, that stuff in the gamers movie where it's right. well. Na- wait, wait. Naturally, as a as a master thief, I would have been crawling on my hands and knees every inch looking for traps. It, it can kind of get to that point eventually. What do you do? I mean, what is your? Preference? I think eventually you have to. I think it's good as a GM to remind players, like even the best characters in movies and whatever fuck up sometimes. 
So you would have let them like they'd have to fight with the two guys. Yeah, I would. Him. I think if I was the GM, looking back on it, I was like, you just you didn't see him. Look, sometimes James Bond misses shit. Right. Sometimes you just sometimes even I don't care how much of a badass you say your characters are, you're you're not going to get everything. Okay. Sometimes you're going to have to drop your people are going to have to drop on you, and you're going to have to deal with it. Well, in that case, it wasn't too bad because the circuit like they were just thugs, and the players were badass. Yeah. You know, agents. But still, even thugs. It can get the drop on badasses. Well, I know it's not that it's that the consequences of mm-hmm. like not noticing those two guys were bad, but it wasn't like it was, there it was, were two yeah. vampires there that were, would have like, right. ripped them apart. So now let's say, okay, now, now, now if it, yeah, if it had been two vampires, right. I think, yeah, that would have been different. So you would have like been more lenient to the players if the if the the consequence of their mistake would have well, been like as GM a total party go, kill or a possible party. Well, kill. in this case, or even just one as a GM, kill. as the GM, I think it would also go to what I described the, the, what we're doing because I mean, if they if I were if I was going to have two vampires watching the hall, I would have actually before leading up to that described it as this situation's a lot more serious than it was. Like I would have. And like, okay, it's not just we're going into, you know, we're look, we're trying to get this guy out of here. Yeah. I would implied, all right, there's a very important asset in this room. And if we don't get him, I don't like we this mission's failed. Right. I would have I would actually kind of like amped up the amped up the consequences so and stakes. Would have foreshadowed the con- yeah, I would have foreshadowed that all right, this shit's serious. <laughs> that this is like a situation that the bad guys are gonna be throwing a lot of actual resources to. Okay. But you didn't do any of that. I mean, going back to that same scenario, you said you just you made clear we were just going in to try to get right. this guy. Well, you and he, get the drop on the three. Get the drop thugs. on the guy, and also like they're probably going to be armed. Right. So that was the kind of urgency we had. So two thugs being there would have been perfectly two extra thugs. A per, yeah, per, two extra thugs would have been a perfectly reasonable thing to have. But but if it be but if it had two vampires, I'm going to go like, what the fuck? Why why are there two why are there two of those vampires whose only weakness is incredible damage we cannot inflict? Also, well, there's spoiler alerts, so I don't want to. I want to for the listeners home. I don't want to spoil about what they 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 had additional weaknesses. You uh-huh. just didn't figure them out until the end of the campaign. So, oh darn! Yeah, <laughs> I, I, just, I just preferred the massive damage weakness. Well, that Go is figure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Bill, what I mean, like if so, that's good to have the one one step back for <laughs> the undo. But if the players make a mistake that would then cost them dearly. Like maybe one of the players gets killed, all of them get killed, or mission failure. Like, would you change your policy? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> strangely enough, I don't think I've really had a lot of really great opportunities to put anything into practice there. Right. But I think uh, actually what I would head towards is just sort of changing the structure of the adventure <laughs> or story or whatever you want to call it to sort of reflect that. Um, yeah. Of course, if you're dealing so in a time critical yeah. mission yeah. or time critical, critical mission, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously that's a little hard to spin. But you know, without having been there and experienced the vampires and what have you, right? You know, I think that would be a very important thing to maybe sort of, right? You know, change your plans as a GM and say, okay, for whatever reason, they're capturing you, and then you get to do the fun whole like well, this is your chance to it, escape. I mean, it, it, the thing is, these these kind of uh, situations always don't you don't plan them to happen. They just come up in the middle of the game. It's always kind of like. A mistake, like oh shit, something sure. happened. So in D and D, for example, would be like the players open the door and there's a dragon, and they like oh shit, they didn't realize that there was a dragon behind the door, so they didn't have time to cast resist fire 
and then get out their cold weapons or whatever, <laughs> prepare for the fight, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that they because they haven't prepared for those five rounds, they're going to be it, killing that dragon is going to be very, very mu- that much harder to do. And they'll probably several of them will get killed if they succeed at all, if they don't just run away. And if they run away, they lose the the, the mission or whatever, the quest. So in that case, like in that kind of – it's always like a mistake what happens mm-hmm. from, in my experience. It's never, you never plan for it. You, you always try and to undergo good faith best practices for game mastery. <laughs> uh, ISO 9000 GMing. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And <laughs> – but there's always the fuck up. And so what What are your policies when shit they, they, the players make a mistake that's going to like get them killed? Are you more lenient or not? So, hmm. Well, uh, I think I would definitely follow the very short term consequences yeah. of that through. You know, um, if you open a door on a dragon, well, there's a dragon. Yeah. Uh, you know, the most I would give you was maybe the consideration to say you were going to try to, you know listen at the door or or something first. Right. Or you have a surprise round on it. Yeah, sure. But, uh, I think that actually goes to sort of the, the lack of utility of challenges that really only have one way of interacting with it. I mean, if the dragon's only there for a fight and you bust the door in on it, you know, you've kind of got a problem. And honestly, you did it. Yeah. Well, and I would expect a good table of players to, try to mitigate that in some way, whether right. it was, you know, talking to the dragon or what have you. That's why, you know, well, I'm not really a huge could, fan of just a monster there for the sake of attacking. I, well, I, I mean, really that, do love I use it. that as an example, but that, sure, it's and I'm like the players the make a decision by mistake because they mm-hmm. either misunderstood your clues. Like, Oh, there, you smell brimstone under the door. It's hot. And there, mm-hmm. You hear scaly thing moving around, whatever they missed your clues. And they, they make, they open the door without realizing its implication. They make a mistake or they misunderstood what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, or what, that's what they say afterwards. So like what happens? Do you, do you just step back and say, okay, fine. You haven't opened the door. What do you do? Or, uh, yeah, you you let them undo the mistake because you realize if they open that door, they're going to get their ass kicked because they're all clustered up. The dragon's just going to breathe fire on them, and that's right. it. Because um, they didn't cast resist fire. Mm-hmm. So because I only use it could have been a death trap. It could have been like opening a door up on the cyborgs, or uh, right. you know, saying "screw you" to the the president of the coalition or whatever in riffs. Uh, uh, Emperor. Yeah. Ross. Whatever. Yeah. I, Emperor Emperor Joseph Prosik. Sorry, Emperor Carl Prozik, Joseph Prozik. So son, again, right? how how lenient are you? Like uh, we kind of you kind of like both said that we you give them some leeway, but not much when it's normal. But like, do if the stakes change, do you are you more or less? Yeah, I think um, there there's a great and revered and hallowed GM technique yeah. that comes into play here. It's those three magic words yeah. combined with that you know significant eyebrow raise. Are you sure? <laughs> so you and right. that's that's your last chance okay. i mean that should be the indication that you are about to make a very bad choice okay because at the end of the day at some point you kind of have to let the players hoist themselves by their own petard or it ceases to be a game okay i like it uh, and uh, also on that it's it's first of all as a gm like you should really uh, you should you should you really should like prepare stuff you know your players could handle in some way well, they could. Let's say, I mean, again, the dragon. You know so once again, that like, the players okay. could kill okay. the dragon if they cast resist fire first. They didn't, though. Yes, so. but yes, and sometimes it's 
Yeah, your player's like, so hey, sometimes shit happens. Yeah, you're sometimes shit's gonna happen you're not ready for. Okay. Which, as yeah, once if it's a good table of players, they can actually turn a whole new thing that into a whole new thing. Like right. in the case of the dragon, yeah, like you just go like, you know, you like, oh, I, you start talking Cave to cleaning it. service. Or it's like, or like, oh, I am so sorry. I was looking for something the else. Bathroom. Is there anything I can do for you? Um. Yeah. No. Uh, so I mean, or, you, you you can hope that, but again, it's like, uh, uh, you know. Okay. If so, it, okay. If it, so if it, if basically, you're saying if they if they make they're going to make a mistake, you know, is going to kill them or going to be very dangerous. You're just going to let them do it. Well, if, I think if, yes. First, yeah, you need to give some kind of are you sure? Okay. Uh, you know, like you you remind them of okay, like you sure like you you have no idea what's behind this door or right. So like, it was like you know this door. It's a huge bronze door with like a skull. You know, you know, so you call. So you basically you do a second time to call it to their attention to make sure mm-hmm. that they're not yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. You got to give it the Regis Philbin. <laughs> yeah, is that your final answer? Exactly. But uh, and eventually, yeah, eventually your players have to accept some responsibility. Okay, and that's I think. That's, and if they can't handle it, it says like it's kind of it's sometimes kind of telling that they only want problems they can they can handle right. easily. Sure, and that that kind of shows like well that's. Well, some, I'm sorry, that's not life. Yeah. Or this game, for that matter. Right. <laughs> but yeah, a good group of players, if they're suddenly introduced with a situation they can't overcome through brute force, right? they can actually usually can overcome something, just think of something totally off the wall that mm-hmm. ends up making it, that's the session you remember. And it's not because of that, that's, you know, combat that's the same as any other. It's because right. of something crazy Bob over here just suddenly, just suddenly like started, like, I roll like I roll perform dance in front of the dragon to see if he likes my likes it. Like no one thought of that, but go right ahead. And of course, like he ends up rolling like a twenty, and it's like suddenly he starts doing thriller in front of the dragon, and you actually capture his. And you're like he just like the dragon like, slow claps. Good sir, I am a patron of the arts and would like to extend you a contract. <laughs> <laughs> like and of course, like say like yeah, we survived. Of course now. His business agent is a dragon who refuses to be let go, so he's always going to be there. So yeah, all right. I mean, uh, those are all those are all good points to bring up, but uh, <laughs> it's just it, for me. One of the things you know in role playing is that it's about making choices, making decisions, and based <laughs> on the information. The GM is literally the only source of information in that universe. Whatever the GM says. Well, well also, but it all comes down to whether the GM didn't do it clearly enough, right? Or if they just didn't understand. So what happens when it is your fault? When you didn't just like you forgot to mention there's a giant fucking skull and there's like brims the smell of brimstone from that door. Okay, when it's uh, your fault. You okay, don't, if it's your fault and it's and then actually you like look at the room description. Oh yeah, there's the the, the yes. The, at the, that point, at that point, sociopathic dragon who hates all living things except for dancers. Way to qualify that one. Yeah, but yes, no. Well, but, okay, okay, I, okay. Just using wrong. the dragon is not is no, not it's a generic it's dragon. It's the dragon that's going to kill you. It's like that's what it meant to be symbolically. Yeah. You know, if it's your fault and you forget something really important, yes, I think you should go back. Like, okay, uh, I forgot to mention this. Yeah. Or how are you going to alter your plan in any way? And in my experience, a good portion of the time they go, no, no, we keep going. All right. Unless you have a really great spur of the moment idea to roll with it. Exactly. In which case, party on. Because as you say, a game is always it's a it's a collaboration between the GM and the players. Right. And if they and if I, but I if they're working on different scripts, then you know. Well, fine, like, but in that case, and then you, but then you clarify it. Yeah. Then you give them a choice. Do you go back? Some of them might actually no, no, guys, let's go with it. I've had that happen more than once. True facts. And yeah. often, if a player say, "All right, no, we're going to go with it," but I have a crazy idea, you let it go through because hilarity is going to ensue. Crazy Ivan. 
crazy yet. I mean, it's just be if one if the players have the script for springtime for Hitler, and you have this script for Inglorious Bastards, someone's <laughs> going to be a ta- disappointed, you know, at that table. Like, well, when that's uh, finally encountered, not the viewers. That's <laughs> who's not disappointed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I would like to see that game. Like, uh, that's probably but a good. Or, or that'd be fiasco, wouldn't it? Or. Ooh, that's an idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a good group of players can take anything like that and make something out of it. Right. And it's really it comes it just well, comes it, it, it doesn't comes necessarily down, be I, like I think well, yeah. it's like it's giving them choices. Right. Same thing too. Like in this case, if you realize you fucked up and it was your right. fault, you give them the choice to like, "Oh, okay, well, okay, I need to back up here. I need to like uh firing ret cannon. Right. This needed to be in in there." So then you give them this, give them the choices. Like, all right, we you guys can like rework your plan with this new information. Uh, do what you need to do, and you leave it up to them. Right. If they want to go back, they want to redo some stuff. Then you let them redo some stuff. So I mean, part of it is also you know sometimes it's not an open ended encounter. Like you open the door, there's a dragon. There's any number of ways you could do it. You could fight it. You could dance for it. You can talk to it. Blah or, blah blah. Or close the door. Quickly. Sometimes <laughs> it's the result of one action. You know, like you. I jump behind the the enemy and I shoot him point blank with my shotgun. Well, he had a backpack full of uh, unstable explosives, which was <laughs> in his backpack. So you, there's no way your character could know that, but you were point blank. Okay, so I'll say you no, blow up. Well, as in that case, the the information the players need is he has a big bulky backpack on. Right. That's what you need to tell them. You don't need to tell them anything else. But there's any number of ways to interpret that. So it's like literally... Exactly. But, you know, sometimes, Ross, if you jump into a combat with a shotgun and a guy with a backpack, he might very well have several bottles of nitroglycerin in there. That is is the the dilemma of the ages. I know. Uh, And also, I think that would actually, to me, that sounds like a golden GMing opportunity. Not because it would kill the player outright, but, you know, this is gaming. It's supposed to be entertaining on some level or another. So I would try to figure out some way to, you know, come up with an appropriate consequence, (laughs) but one that also, you know was dramatically appropriate as not necessarily just dying, but like, what can I do with this player and a large explosion that will make things more interesting? But then of course, yeah. So the, the, so as a GM, that's fine. But then the player's like, what? That's bullshit. I never would have done that if I known that. And it's like, well, you didn't, that would, and as a GM, you'd be like, well, that's the, that was the point of that challenge. You didn't know what was in his backpack. That was the, that was what All I right. wanted you to try and figure right. out. All right. Well, if you, okay, you just decided. If, okay, if to you know like, if you know your players are going to do that, a great way is to. Well, you oh, don't. No, always. no, is to like once again cover like try to cover your ass as a GM. Yeah. Which is like it's basically American <laughs> it's very living. bureaucratic. Yeah. Yes, it is. But you know, you tell them like, all right, these guys you're going after, they're uh, you, we think you know they're trying to blow this place up. Yeah. So if you mention that, you know, like okay, their mission is to destroy this place. So it's very likely they're going to have some explosives on them. And at that point, if they say, well, wait, I would never have done that. You knew they were here to blow this place up. So did you think think they were going to do it with like crazy, you know, fire starter mind powers? Or bunnies. Or bunnies. (laughs) Or explosive bunnies, yeah. But no, like you, you, once again, covering your ass like stuff like that, making sure you give them enough clues to know what they need to, but without telling them the whole story. It's just basically, it's basically just cover your ass as a GM. So, but again, is if the players fail a challenge that you think of and they die or they suffer something very dramatic, you know, loss of a limb or the mm-hmm. failure of the mission or something like that because of information they didn't have or because they misinterpreted something you said, you think it's basically, yeah, that's the game. You're well, once again, it's, it's if you forgot to tell them something, right? 
then yes, you need to give them. You, I think you need to offer them a mulligan. Okay. Yeah. I think you really do. That if it's something your fault as the GM, but if you gave, if you can actually, you know, say if they if they call bullshit and you're able to actually cover all your tracks and let them know like I gave you clues as to this and you just didn't see them. So what are your standards are for like well, when a, you fuck up and when you don't fuck up? Like Bill, I like kind of like to hear you like. Oh yes, uh, Bill, proceed. Yeah, I will go after you. Oh, when when do you well? Yeah. How, what's how low is the bar for you? You know, like <laughs> they have to they have to step mm. up. Is it? Yeah. Anyway, like, where, like, where where do you just make the players into lunch meat? <laughs> Well, and that has a lot to do with sort of the implied severity. I mean, yeah. if it's not a big deal, I'm not going to hold it very tightly. Right. But yeah, if it's a matter of life or death, I'm going to look back critically and say, maybe not did I do everything I could, but did I do, you know. What you needed. Right. Uh, you know. So we're good not, faith we're not, best practices. Yeah. The ISO 9000. Yeah. Really? I mean, it's it's sort of a weird way to say it, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, yeah, I, I, that that that's a good way of sort of like explaining that approach. But for like me, that's I would use like at least two or three clues that, or at least one clue that I know the players have registered, and by like giving like, are you sure kind of thing, uh, like. You know, a lot of players, they kind of space out during a game. And, like, you don't always know. Like, they don't always space out for the entire game. But for you know they're not going to get 100% of the information. Like, you say 100% of the game information, each player's only going to get, like, from 50 to 70%. If that. So, yeah, if that. Um, depending on the player and depending on the game. <laughs> so, for me, like, if they're going to do, I always try and make sure the player, everybody, I repeats thing several times i go over it i give them way more exposition than i think they need uh because they they obviously need more you guys just need all the exposition you go anyway, uh, i'm not being a horrible not better at all how you doing there tom <laughs> all right yeah, I mean, so uh, yeah for me it's like giving them way more information than they, for me that's good faith based best sure. practices well and i think like you know, the investigative rule of three yeah. applies here. You know, if you want the players to find one clue, they you need to put in three, three yeah. at a minimum. I mean, with gumshoe, that's not as much, <laughs> but like each clue that I do give them, I give a lot of explanation for it. Like there's a lot of background material for it because for, yeah, for an investigative, I try and think of the, I understand the entire story, the background of it. So I can explain it from any angle, you know, whether, how did that bloody knife get there to, who you know? Who made that bloody knife? Or why would they use a bloody knife to kill that person? You know, uh, or a, a weird ritual dagger. Like, why would they do that? Where did it come from? You know? So what you're saying is you script out Rashomon for every session of every game you've ever. At run. least in my head, that's actually a really good way of putting it. Like, you really have to understand this inside and out to explain it to a gamer. It's like teaching in a way, you know. Uh, so that for me, that's my definition of good faith best practice. At least for an investigative. For action games, I don't give as much information. Right, but like. Like it's more I get I try to like draw maps on scratch paper or something like that if it's a complex area uh, or if players want reasonable things within there like the trash can or something mm-hmm. like that then yeah that's fine unless it contradicts something that's specific in my head right well I, well actually often when it comes to is something there it's we give we ask you first yeah you know like hey uh, is, like well this is a bar is there like a uh, like it's like one of those drink mixer type things and then you know yeah yeah yeah. Like, like I hose him down with club soda. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's more, it's more. I apply it to his eyeball. 
Yeah, that's kind of more what we do. Right. Yeah. No, asking as a player, asking questions and getting confirmation for the GM is really the best good faith, Mm -hmm. best practice. You know, like it's like the players that complain the most are often they're often the ones that don't really want to contribute. They just kind of want to be badass. Yeah, I could see that. There are some players who put in more effort than others. And Uh, uh, as a player, you've got to put in some effort. Yeah. And if you don't and you get upset at certain things. And you and you just can't let it go. That's usually kind of a sign of a player, yeah, that has a problem. Not, yeah. Well, and I think that like probably goes to the largest point here, where that which is that uh, in a situation like this, the most valuable thing for a GM is actually knowing the personalities of the players at the table. Like, yeah. <laughs> do you you know have a bunch of kind of happy go lucky people who are going to be like, well, them's the breaks, or you know. I mean, there is like the main thing, though, uh, even though you have different players types, you really have to have sort of consistent standards in that if you give the the guy who's spacing off and just wants to, you know, blow everything up with his double barrel shotgun, if you give him a lot of passes because he didn't understand stuff or he misunderstood you or he wasn't paying attention, <laughs> but the player who's on the ball <coughs> understands it, you're just like, no, you understood what was going on. You fail. You don't do blah, blah, blah. Then it's kind of a du- it's a double standard. And that, that kind of creates a lot of acrimony between players. If it does. I mean, I have seen that not actually matter. It depends on the group. Yeah. Right. Certainly at conventions, you need to be more consistent. Well, yeah. Because they're strangers, usually. And they don't, and like, you don't know what their player types are. Like, if it's a home group, yeah. Like, everybody's friends, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's just him. You know, that's just uh, Bobby (laughs) Joe. not name names. Yeah. (laughs) No. Uh, It's just uh, Xanadu. Well, yeah. You're going to treat a guy differently if you have him in your phone. Than just someone you just meet. Yeah. Uh, honest. Yeah, it's honest. That's just the truth. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think yeah, when you're doing like a game with strangers, particularly, that's when you've really got to doubly be on your game as a GM. Yeah. Because you can you know you can you can sl- you can, you don't have to do as, as much work with it's if it's just your normal group of players because they know they, you've got a reputation. So oh, whatever he does is going to be a fun time. Mm-hmm. As opposed to uh, like whoever, like whoever the fuck this guy is. Yeah. You know, I actually remember a few years ago at VisionCon running an RPGA table and sort of being told afterwards that you know, with no more than I was kind of giving up in terms of second chances, which was pretty much what I've described tonight. I was being far nicer than most people would GM that and. That was just sort of an odd sensation for me. No, I, that's actually really good. Like, I've known other people who are like that, some GMs who are just like, they don't consider the idea that they could be wrong or that they don't consider the idea that a misunderstanding between player GM description and player interpretation can even happen. Like, both player, both sides are working in good faith, but there's still a fuck up, uh, and that causes problems. The GM is just like, nope, fuck you, I don't care. I don't care if you misunderstood what I said and I didn't give you a chance to like figure out this mistake. I'm just going to penalize you for not for maybe I make the mistake, you know, and I'm just going to penalize you for my mistake. Mm -hmm. And that's, I've seen that. And that's a really sad attitude to take. And that's a really, don't be that guy. It comes down to vindictiveness kind of really. No, I think it's, I would say it's vindictive. It's just like, I'm always right. And I don't consider egos. Yeah. I think it comes down to a lot. Yeah. Egos. Yeah. And I kind of think uh, if you if you're a group of friends, you, you often leave your ego at the door, right? Because it's your it's your friends that you hang out with when you're even when you're not playing games, right? Certainly different than when you're dealing with strangers, so. right? 
at that point, you know, it's like, you know, I think egos come into play then. Yeah, no. Because, it, it, like, you know, as a GM, you want to show them, like, all right, I, like, I'm a good GM. I, I know this shit. I can deliver what I promised. And as players, you're like, you're like I paid money, to, especially if it's a con game, I paid money to be in this. He better bring it. Yeah. There's that. Um, there, there's a little more, uh, kind of a little more urgency when it's things like that or when, it's when you're running a game for a group of strangers. Yeah. Because I think you are trying to, you're trying to impress them. I yeah. think both sides are trying to impress you're each other. You're trying to entertain them, yeah. You're, you're trying to entertain, but you're also trying to impress a group, a new group. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't even care. I'm a horrible monster. I don't even give a shit. <laughs> you didn't make it explicit that I couldn't mind control other players. What the hell? Yeah, with social skills. Yeah, like yeah. not even telepathy. Just like, why can't I roll diplomacy and make the player do what I want him to do? Like, well, like, well, actually try to convince him right now. And if yeah. he changes his mind, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's a good way of solving it. Let's what see some a concept. Record. Yeah. What a twist. One thing, though, the last thing I want, well, one uh, final thing I want to bring up is sort of a different kind of dis- uh, misunderstanding. And that's sort of like definitional. Um, and like, Bill, you came up with the, the, the classic example before when we were talking. That's the dreaded gazebo. Uh, and that the thing is, is. It, it goes on for like the Dread Gazebo story. If you should just look it up, it's basically a classic player RPG humor story based on a true anecdote uh, happened back in the seventies. And players say the GM says, "You see a gazebo." Players don't know what a gazebo is. And for the listeners at home, those of you who aren't American or whatever, uh, or English isn't your native language, um, a gazebo is like an outdoor wooden structure. It's like a a pavilion. It's usually like, usually decorative, like a bandstand yeah. or decorative in the yard. Yeah, decorative for, in the used yard. For so it's a wooden structure that's outside with a canopy. That, yeah, with a canopy. Yeah, a roof. Um, and. The players didn't know what it was. They thought it was a monster because, like, they've been hearing weird monster terms all night long. Yeah, it's a blah, it's blah, a cockatrice. Yeah, yeah. It's a huba yeah. yeah, it's a glebrizu. I don't yeah, know. It's a, How do you it's say a bandersnatch. It's a beholder. Yeah. It's a rust monster. It's a yeah. or a cocra? Yeah. Uh, so the players start attacking it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, I made a joke. You made a joke. Very good. And. <laughs> They uh, shoot arrows at it. They fireball it. And they'll just, fine, you kill it. You weren't 25 experience points. No, no, no. Yeah. The gazebo killed them. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, I guess it depends on <laughs> what the What is the challenge rating on a gazebo? Or I think they run away. One version, they, they ran away in terror. And so. It's like the aristocrats. There's different versions of it. You have it, angered the gazebo. <laughs> if the players are doing something that after a while you, you as a GM realize they're acting on bad information. Like for some reason they think there's a you know, a seven, a sixth bad guy in the hotel. And they're just like, where's that guy? Where is he? They, I, I and they won't let every, it go. Yeah. They just like, well, they just start kicking down doors. They're like, I kicked down the door. Okay. There's, it's an empty hotel. I kicked down the door. It's an empty hotel room. I kicked down the other door. Like, why are you doing it? I'm looking for the sixth guy. And you're like, what six? you like, at what point when you realize the players are acting on totally faulty information, what do you do? Like, do you just oh, like, like, for me, I would say like, eventually you just need to fast forward. Like that using that case, all right. Well, you thoroughly search all the rooms, but do find no sign of the, the of that six. So guy. you humor them. You're just like the GM with the gazebo. You're but like, also, yeah. but that'd be a good time to bring in some other uh, consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, and also, like, but they call downstairs to complain about a guy that's kicking down hotel room doors. So you're just like, fuck you, players. You didn't understand me. You're going to be punished. Yeah. If, if they if they keep it up, yes. Yeah. Whereas I might actually go to the other side of the coin, like. Yeah. Um, in the gazebo case, 
write the scene off as a loss, work your yeah. way around it. You know, you aren't recovering that one. In the case of <laughs> looking for a Sometimes it can be worth it on its own just because it's, right. it's funny. Yeah. You know, you get at least one of those nice warm inside chuckles at your player's expense, which is what <laughs> right. we really GM for. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> uh, in the case of like the sixth guy in the hotel. Yeah. You know, if they're really that dogged about it and you can do it without any other consequences yeah. and it will let you move on, have them be spying behind one of those doors and let them have just a little scare right. quotes hero moment. So just like get, get it over yeah. with. Okay. Yeah. See, what I would do is if they once they once they're acting on, on the premise that there's a sixth guy in there, if they're still like the guys that I know are there, if they're still the fourth and fifth guy, then, yeah, I'll let them act on that bad information. But if they miss on like if they quote me back saying, well, well you said this and like, no, I didn't. Or like, well, and then or God forbid you, you like say, oh, shit, I didn't mean that. I meant this, you know, uh, then I, I try to I correct them like, oh, shit, and we're, we'll just I screwed up. You screwed up. We'll just blah, blah, blah. There's no sixth guy. Uh, I'll drop behind the curtain and be like, yeah, sorry. We, I didn't mean that. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Folks. Yeah. But if all five guys have been defeated and they're just wasting time looking for the six guys, like, why are you looking for six guys? Well, you said this. Well, like, well, I didn't mean that. Or you're, you're just misinter- you misheard me. I said this. Well, no, you didn't. Yeah. Then we go back and forth about who said what, blah, blah, blah. Then I said, no, there's no six guy. You don't waste any time searching. Let's move on. Screw you guys. I'm yeah, we're just going to go. But then don't you run the risk of uh, coming down with Charlie Chaplin syndrome? Oh, yeah. Uh, like, obviously, the mastermind behind the whole conspiracy <laughs> was the sixth guy. Yeah, clearly, clear. I should just throw in a sixth guy who shows up in the elevator. He's like, hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, God. And he gets jumped by the players. Right. Uh, or the sixth guy could be a fat, powerful vampire who rips into shreds. Yeah. Yeah. Or, it's, or it's Russell Crowe on the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, or Charlie Chaplin. Uh, so, in, in 2010. Yeah. yeah. So that then, is well, zombie Charlie Chaplin. Well, if you, actually, it's kind of hard to tell. Actually, the if you just see Charlie Chaplin, everyone is Charlie hotel, Chaplin, the new indie RPG. <laughs> well, actually, if you just if you I actually if you actually encounter Charlie Chaplin in the hotel room in 2010, you had another scenario going on there. Yeah, Harcosa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've always been here. Yeah, and so are you in Night Vale. I you wear no bowler hat. <laughs> no hat. No hat. No. Uh, oh yeah, like yeah, the 1920s. Like man ventures outside hatless. <laughs> Madness. <laughs> Bolshevikism. Uh, what do you mean the Bolsheviks wear? No, they didn't. Like, I, like I don't only mirrorless uh, wisps of hair separate man's scalp from the untamed elements. Like Stalin did, but did uh, uh, what was his name? Trotsky. I don't know. He was kind of hatless. He was a hatless Trotsky guy. has an has an allergy to ice picks. He had a big big set of like yes, Tom. We know, and uh, but he had a big set of hair. Like he didn't wear hats that much. At least in the photos I've seen of Trotsky. Well, he was in South America. No, <laughs> not the entire of his life. He didn't really have a hat face. Yeah, no. there you go. Uh, all right, I think we kind of <laughs> summarized our thoughts. <laughs> you think? Great segue there, Ross. Just going to compliment myself right there. So good, like talking about myself in the third person. Uh, Yeah, so uh, that is kind of one of the the perks of being a horrible monster. (laughs) Next up, Tom, you have a letter. I do. And then uh, when we come back, shout outs and anecdote or anecdotes from Slasher Flick, the new, uh, well, not new, but the indie RPG we uh, finally. It's new for us. Yeah, it's new for us. So therefore, it's new for everyone Uh, else. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we'll be right back.
going to go back a ways for this letter, far back into the RP past. No, further back. Further back, with some drugs help. All the way back to Dungeons and Dragons. Yep, we are going back to this oldie but goldie. In this case, I want you to think back to the essentials needed to play the game. Dice, paper, books, battle mat, miniatures, booze, things like that. The things you need to truly enjoy the game. I would like to talk about one thing that I could not have enjoyed D&D without. The one thing that truly made the game the powerhouse that it was. Monty Python. Yes, I would not have enjoyed the game as much as I did without the best comedy group from the UK. The humor of Monty Python made D&D the great memory it was. It helped to put some things in, in perspective, especially with some of the more esoteric parts of the combat system. Whenever I would get into a tedious fight with a monster, with only an ever-falling number of hit points to indicate how the fight was going, I would think of the Black Knight. I would just imagine that the massive critical hit I just scored against the Hydra went along the lines of the fight between Arthur and the Black Knight. I would sever one of the Hydra's heads, and it would say, "'Tis but a scratch.'" It was a great way to breathe life into an otherwise cold, bloodless fight. Monty Python was a great tool for other aspects of D&D as well. The prejudice sketch was useful for coming up with derogatory terms for D&D monster races. The how to annoy people sketch was useful for in-character banter for a bunch of high school geeks. And the strange religion sketch was a great fodder for coming up with evil cults, especially the Church of the Animated. Damn, that cartoon priest was creepy. So I have to tip my hat to the huge extra tool that helped me make D&D better. Thank you, Monty Python, for making a somewhat lifeless game truly live. And as soon as I can incorporate the Mr. Creosote sketch into a game, I will consider that a major thing to scratch off my bucket list. And maybe I can have a cleric stand in a tea chest singing the English hymn Jerusalem. Mattress sketch, anyone? That was a, uh, uh, I'm glad you, you know, paid homage to the classics. I do. Yeah. I do. It yeah. is classic, Ross. And I think if you, if you reach deep down, really you will admit it. I'm glad you did. It was, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, we need to give them recognition. Exactly. More than a shout out. It's, it's, Bill and I are nodding vigorously it, yeah, as we agree. agree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quoting those uh, scenes at length uh, between breaks. Not much of a cheese shop, is it really? <laughs> now I'm going to ask you this again. And if you say no, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Do you have any cheese in the store? <laughs> All right. Look it up. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's probably on YouTube. So shout outs. Uh, let's let's talk about another classic. Uh, I have been backing some things on Kickstarter. Yes. And they're starting, the, the projects are starting, the, 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 the fruits Ross of these projects. Ross getting his things. Yes, I'm getting my things after waiting for months and months and years and <laughs> decades and eons. Uh, first thing uh, is to be or not to be, uh, which is a Shakespearean choose-your-own-adventure Tom is modeling for it like Vanna White. Uh, for those of you at the listening at home, it's quite, he's showing it off to Bill. Bill is looking at it. Uh, it's a Shakespearean choose your own adventure based on Hamlet, where you can play as Hamlet, Ophelia, or Hamlet Sr. It's written by Ryan North, who does dinosaur comics, Quants. Uh, dinosaur comics rocks. And he writes Adventure Time comics, I believe. Uh, and he also. Uh, Got a bunch of webcomic artists to illustrate for this, including uh, Keith 
uh, Beaton uh, to <coughs> Hark of Vagrant uh, to Andrew Hussey, who does Homestuck, to Casey Green, uh, to just tons of other great artists. <coughs> uh, and it's I've only managed to skim it. It's out. Uh, the ebook the ebook version of it is coming out soon, which will have links so you can play it on your Kindle or whatever. And so it is something to look forward to uh, if you don't want to get it in print. Mine's autographed, by the way. So. Did you see the way Ross's lips moved when he said forward to? Yes, I, <laughs> I enunciate did. things. It was oddly, oddly seductive uh, the way no, he Another did Kickstarter it. project. Uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, back subtle, uh, being subtle there, uh, is one that I've got Tom hooked on. Tom didn't back the Kickstarter, but he has bought the game. It is a video game called Shadowrun Returns. Yeah. Tom, you want to talk a little bit yeah, about I do, that? I do, and you're a bastard. Ross. Yeah, you recommended the game. I thought eh, it's twenty bucks. Yeah, I'll give it a shot, and I download it. It's like eh, I'll try it. I like kind of like shatter and try it out. Ten hours later, yeah. I'm still playing and didn't notice that ten hours had gone by. Yeah, and even after I noticed, I'm like, no, no, I can get past this mission. Yeah, it's a short. The main campaign is actually pretty short, uh, Dead Man Switch. But what's really cool is that they added released the level editor for it, and mm-hmm. it's integrated with Steam. Uh, so the Steam Workshop is already up and and buzzing. it's easily edit. You can easily edit it. Well, easy is. Easier than some other things. Relative term. Relative term. Very good. Uh, I've seen some of the tutorial videos for the editor, and like, I'd like to make a couple levels for Shadowrun Returns, but I don't. Know I don't have that. a PhD. Oh well, no, it's not that bad. It's just time consuming. Um, somebody, Is it as bad as AutoCAD? Yeah. No, it's it's much easier <laughs> than AutoCAD. That's not saying much, though. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But and Shadowrun, I could actually see you doing auto duel with it. Uh. Oh. What what was that? What 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 game was that, Tom? Could you could you just mention? Oh yeah, that again? it's it's a uh, see auto duel. Oh yeah, that one game where you're in the cars and you're shooting at people. And, yeah, more broken uh, eardrum. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, Bill's right there. And for so, the record, uh, as for that comment on RP, the last episode, yes, I will be willing to record that as a ringtone if someone wants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> I really like it. There's already levels for it out on Steam Workshop. Uh, there's DLC coming out for it, like a Berlin campaign. Uh, there and so it's only twenty bucks if you bought it. Uh, I pay, I backed into Kickstarter last year, so I, I got it for fifteen dollars, and I get the DLC campaigns for free. So yeah. well, good. Yeah, I do enjoy it though. Yeah, it's very it's awesome. <laughs> and I support things on Kickstarter. I do, I do, and it makes me a better person. Uh, so does it, Ross? It does. So does, keep that in mind when you're back in the next RPPR Kickstarter project. Is that how you offset being a horrible monster by backing things on Kickstarter? It, 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 kind of, it doesn't totally adjust the scales, but it does help. It does help. Uh, so, so Ross's stay in purgatory will not be as long as it would have been otherwise. No, no. I'll shave a couple <laughs> centuries off. So uh next up is a podcast i've been listening to uh it's becoming very popular now on the interwebs and i found out about it through the uh, something awful.com they they gave a shout out to it on their comedy goldmine section and it's been going for about a year now it's called <laughs> welcome to night vale and it's, it is um it's something else have you it's, actually listened to any episodes yet i know i've played it excerpts for you but is, is that it i've listened, listened to a lot of excerpts and yeah just everything i hear is 
I must hear more of this. Well, on the trip to Gen Con, we'll listen to it. We totally are. We, I will download all the episodes, put a burn on it's a disc so we can listen to it. And we and will never be the same. So those are for you who haven't listened or don't know what Welcome to Night Vale is. It's a community radio uh, <coughs> for this town called Night Vale. It's in the southwest. Uh, it's an imaginary town. But it's just like a surreal Lovecraftian abomination of a, of a desert town that is like, each episode is like, like 15 20 minutes long so it's very easy to digest it and it's got a great narrator for it and like so the first episode they'd be like oh the 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 night vale city council would like to announce that they have put in a new dog park do not look at the dog park dogs are not welcome at the dog you park. might see a f- cloaked figures hooded, in the do- figure. hooded figures in the dog park do not look directly at the hooded figures yeah. do not approach the hooded figures the dog park will not hurt you <laughs> so like every episode is just this like crazy batshit insane shit happening being calmly narrated by a man <laughs> uh, uh, the narrator who's doing community radio so it's like Amer- Prairie Home Companion for Silent Hill is like the closest, <laughs> is the closest comparison I can think of. Although it's, a lot of it is just absurd. It's like not even some of it's creepy. Some of it's just like hilarious shit. Uh, and like, oh, the PTA meeting was disrupted by a time and a gate in time and space opening to the prehistoric era and 38 pterodons escaped. <laughs> then later I was like, we'd like to issue a correction. <laughs> They were pterodactyls, not pterodons. <laughs> and the casual count was uh, has been corrected from zero to thirty-eight. <laughs> so like it just goes, it's just like batch it insane. And uh, I think good humor. It's like Stephen Wright's humor. Oh yeah, yeah, just utterly. And deadpan. some of it's like genuinely creepy. There's some genuinely creepy uh, episodes of material on there. So <laughs> it's great stuff. I actually plan to run a game based uh, uh, instead of Nightmare. <laughs> as you do, as you do. Uh, I'm going to be using a, a surrealist, absurd art role playing game called Itris Bai, uh, which is specifically made to. Uh, emphasize the 1920s surrealism movement of like Salvador Dali. They're like, I think that would fit right in with Night Vale. I think that would fit. I think that would work. I love this plan. So, I'm excited to be a part of it. We'll, Do not approach the melting clocks. <laughs> the yeah. melting clocks cannot harm you. All hail the glow cloud. Uh, so... <laughs> Next up, Bill, why don't you talk about Slasher Flick a little bit? I know I'll talk a little bit about the rules, but we actually got to try a role-playing game a listener sent to us years ago. I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to run until now, uh, but we finally got a chance to play with Thad, and that will be the next one-shot on the podcast. So, Bill, what are your impressions of Slasher Flick, uh, the horror role-playing game? Uh, they're pretty special. Um, <laughs> I, I had the misfortune to make a character that didn't really cohere to the rest of the group, which yeah. meant I was mostly kind of hanging back and watching the chaos happen. Yeah. But uh, between Thad and Caleb duking <laughs> it out uh, with their like slap slap kiss character relationship yeah. and um, David rolling up a secondary characters an entire trio of uh, Ambers or Amandas or Britneys. They were Britneys. Yes. Identical clone cheerleaders. Um, Technically not clones. Just functionally clones. Functionally clones. clones. I think that's an important distinction. And yeah, uh, it was pretty great uh, because lots of people got killed by a bunch of worms running around as a human. Spoiler alert. Spoilers. So, uh, yeah, Slasher Flick is specifically meant to emulate slasher horror films. And in this role playing, in this game, you actually not only get your primary character, you also get secondary characters. And the main goal for players is to 
earn genre points uh, so they can uh, they can kill off their secondary characters to gain genre points uh, that they can then use on their primary character to help <laughs> them survive the final conference. And I love, like, to actually get it, yeah, you have to actually go along with all the tropes of horror well, slasher you, You're movies. rewarded for going along. Yeah, you like, don't have to. You get but, genre points for doing that, so. Which I, you know, I love, so, like, going off on your own or. Yeah. Or going skinny dipping at night. Yeah. So, uh, I had too many players, though, too many characters. Like, I gave, let people make way too many secondary characters. Which, I mean, because, like, one thing is you can also share secondary characters. Other players can take over them uh, for certain scenes. But what I really liked was also that instead of, like, giving the killer stats, you, for, to survive, a, there's no fight scenes. There's kill scenes where you try to avoid getting killed by the killer. And... The player makes the rolls. The GM doesn't roll anything. So it's up to the uh, player to not mechanically die. speaking. It's up to the player to live or die. And I thought that was great. And so mechanically, it's actually quite clever. And with, I, I, with a smaller group, I mean, yeah, it was the first game we'd all tried it, and there's just so many people there uh, and so many characters. It was kind of hard to keep track. But uh, good time was had by all. So that's a cool little indie horror game. So thanks to the listener who sent it to us. I'm sorry it took so long to do it. I am a horrible monster. Uh, moving on. So uh, that's your answer. To everything. Just move on. Move on. Um, Speaking of uh, actually uh, movies and that kind of thing, uh, Bill, you saw a movie that I'm sure the listeners out here would like to hear about. I did. I would like to uh, heartily endorse Joss Whedon's production of Much Ado About Nothing. Um, if you would like to see the stoner from Cabin in the Woods, um, Captain Tight Pants, Agent Coulson, and Sandy Rivers from uh, How I Met Your Mother act out Shakespeare in black and white. That may be kind of a soft sell because it's really a great movie. Like if you want to see people actually do Shakespeare in an understandable way and, you know, it's one of the comedies. So it's also, you know, fairly enjoyable, more it's, accessible. Yeah. Right. It's not Titus Andronicus. That's for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's that's one way of describing it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. No, you're not. But yeah. Uh, also, just it's really great to see uh, just from Whedon, a filmmaking. I, mean, I could see him like, let's kill some more characters. Now. Right. It's <laughs> true. It is Joss Whedon. But um, it's also just sort of from a filmmaking perspective, really interesting in that they shot it uh, in 12 days. Yeah. While uh, everybody who was anybody was on vacation from the Avengers. And it's entirely shot in Joss Whedon's house. Yeah. It's like the ultimate vanity project, but it's good. Like, right. So that's uh, pretty awesome. Actually, the ultimate vanity project is the room, and that was also awesome. So, uh, <laughs> still anyway. can't get my wife to watch that. Oh man. Yeah. You know what Shakespeare doesn't have? Pictures of spoons. That's true. There are no pictures of spoons. In or footballs or footballs. <laughs> as, so, as, and as Tommy Wiseau has proven, there can be no good movies without footballs. We, we certainly. Uh, and speaking of games, uh, Tom, there's a game that you wanted to talk about because you got you had a chance to play it recently. Master of Magic. Yeah, actually, it's uh, I. Maybe it's my old age. I love games from like the early nineties. <laughs> yeah, like specifically the early to mid nineties. Like you know. Like the original XCOM. It's not like Seth Green and Seth MacFarlane have made careers out of that or right. anything. No, but they did, so I can't do that, that anymore. That was the joke, yes. I'm sorry, did I ruin your joke, Ross? <laughs> yeah, anyway, go on. Anyway, but Master of Magic was one of my favorite games from way back when. Yeah. Basically, it's like civilization with 
fantastical magic and you know fantasy races. Yeah. Does it have your lizard people, Tom? It's got dragon people and lizard men. You just conquer. You start as one, and you conquer the other one immediately. And then, but then you know you build them up. You right. make them better. Right. Of course. And of course, and, and you instead of researching like technology, you research spells. Right. And there, it, there were actually a couple of sequels made in the early two thousand. Well, not sequels, but spiritual sequels like uh, Age of Magic. Well, I rem- um, there's one. I know which one you're talking. Shadow about. Magic. Um, it was <laughs> turn based. Lots of races. Similar game mechan- mechanic. Uh, and you, but it had better graphics and I played Age of Magic, uh, two or whatever it was. I'm sure it's something, something shadow magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Way to go, Ross. I know I should have monster before we recorded. Uh, but, but it's, and it's, I don't know. It's one of those, it's one, Age of Wonders, shadow magic. Yeah. It was just one of those games that it's, they're a very addictive game, especially back then. I think like XCOM particularly. One, two was two was just a uh, mental nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it was Age of Wonders Shadow Magic. Did you ever get a chance to play that? Yes, I did. Yeah, but and I and I downloaded this. I know mean, it wasn't. Well, magic. I own. I own. Yeah. I still. Own, I still have the CD, but it can't work on advanced technology now. <laughs> but I like to give a big shout out to uh, GoodOldGames.com. Yeah, or GOG.com. They have all like so many of my old favorite games for like bit cheap download that works on all systems now. It, I'm a member and I'm in heaven a lot of the times. They have so many, like they had Master of Orion 1 and 2, which I'm not going to give shout outs to, but I love those games. Just so many great, so many great games that actually you can finally just bypass all the, uh, it uses DOSBox, but it does it all for you. Right. Uh, And speaking of video games, uh, Bill, you finally uh, beat one you've been talking to me about for a while. uh, (laughs) And you finally got around to to completing it. So tell us about. Oh man, La Mulana. Uh, it's like someone took uh, Metroidvania and Spelunky and a bottle of pure undiluted hatred and mixed them all together. Um, it, it, yeah, uh, it's a Metroidvania in the style of apparently some family computer system that was popular in Japan, maybe manufactured by Sony. Famicom? No, okay. no, not Nintendo. Uh, the MSX or something like that. Oh, yeah. But uh, if you've played Spelunky, Spelunky's sort of thematic elements and yeah. uh, the physics were pretty closely modeled from La Mulana. But La Mulana is a Metroidvania and it is unforgivingly hard and also modeled in the style of very early, like eight bit uh, computer games <laughs> and, you know, console games as well, where there really is no such thing as figuring out the puzzles except by trial and error or in the modern era consulting a guide, which I did because I wanted to beat it sometime before the heat death of the universe. <laughs> but uh, if you're into games that are way too hard for their own good and are trying to mimic the production values of an earlier era, I can recommend to you La Mulana. Yeah, and it's only like uh, 10, 15 bucks, and it's usually on sale quite a bit, like on yep. various uh, e-sites. I don't know if it's on, is it on Steam? Or? It is on Steam. That's right. where I've got it. It's also available on uh, Wii Virtual Console and probably other things. Cool. Uh, and make a slight shift. Uh, I would like to, of course, give a shout out to Transhuman uh, because I worked on it and it is great. And I, uh, yeah, right there, Ross. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, Shill. I Shill. just want chill. Shill. Shill. 
I just want to mention that I'm most proud. Well, I don't know if I'm most proud, but like I am proud. I am happy that they left in my bit about Hitler clone morphs. Uh, <laughs> uh, in in there, I look for heirloom morphs, and there's a whole thing that I wrote about that. So uh, I don't want to spoil it. You get the book. So also yes, yes. Uh, I also want to mention another project I've sort of helped on, uh, Shadowbound. Uh, my friend Nathan Shelton is doing a web series, silent film horror homage web series <laughs> and they're doing production. They've uh, had an Indiegogo that, that finished up or is finishing up soon. And we'll, when they actually get the episodes out, we'll of course link to them. And it looks re- like if you look on their, their Facebook page, they've got really good, like behind the scenes photos. They put a lot of work in getting all period 1920s period, authentic cars and costumes and sets really impressive. What he's doing with like practically no money. Uh, so uh, a budget, yes, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, Nathan is a very talented. Uh, yes, he uh, is. Person. So, uh, but speaking <laughs> of horror, uh, this creepypasta you you found recently that uh, I wanted to, I've been meaning to read. I just keep yeah, yes. ADDing. So go on. Yeah, uh, actually, someone linked this in the forums. Might have been the creepy thread of doom. Yeah, or prob- if not, that, I think so. The yeah. story fodder. But yeah. Uh, Forgive me on the pronunciation here. I'm not up on my, uh, you know, plant genuses, but uh, it's the Dionea house or something to that effect. Uh, essentially, a series actually of creepypastas about, uh, well, to put it in sort of a spoilery nutshell, houses that eat people and uh, lure people in via sort of, you know, mysteries and guilt. Uh, I can definitely recommend it. Um, If you start off with the Dionea house, just Google it, uh, which might be hard. But fortunately, you'll have show notes, which will have an accurate spelling. Yep. Um, It stretches over two or three other blogs and live journals. um, Or you can go to the TV Tropes page and it'll tell you what sequence to read them in. But yeah, very creepy. Very good. Neat. Uh, And let's see. The last thing is something, uh, an RPG thing that, uh, Bill, you've actually got, uh, I've been meaning to get bundle of holding, uh, which is a pay what you want for a bunch of PDFs of games. And they've been doing a couple of things. What are some of your finds or scores from that? Um, actually this last one that I took part in had several things, uh, that I'd been interested in. Uh, it had monster of the week, which is kind of the Buffy ish version of the apocalypse world engine, which I hope to read through and maybe, yeah, I think I'm going to try to pick a copy of dungeon world up at uh, Gen Con if I can find one. Also supposed to be very good. Um, it had, uh, do pilgrims of the flying temple. Yeah. I think that's the title, uh, which looks to be a pretty good, like kind of story ish light kind of game. Something that'll kit up and keep, you know, with the quiet ear and fiasco for when we're feeling that way. Yeah. And then uh, probably the one I've read the most so far and we'll probably try to figure out how to run in the near future is called View Scream. And it's the first uh, tabletop RPG I've encountered meant specifically to be played via Skype or Google Hangout. So uh, hopefully we can pull that idea together and make an RPPR video yeah. of uh, View Scream sometime here soon. Yeah. Yeah, um, we'll have to look into the technology for that. And I've just been like burned out, <laughs> not burned out, but like base raiders all the time. So doing new projects is hard. Bye. On, like, small, limited. Ross's 
book. Buy my book? Yes, yes, I would like that. Uh, so finally, before we go, uh, like we mentioned in the shoutouts earlier, uh, that we I ran Slasher Flick. Thad can't, has come back from China, but he stopped into Springfield before he's off on his way to Illinois to learn and pursue a degree and yeah, a PhD. So uh, we had a lot of players, so I decided to try out Slasher Flick because it would be good for a lot of players. And it was kind of like, I knew it was going to be yes. a very serious game. It's with, good yeah. for us because we're going through a period of upheaval right now. Yeah. You know, it's a troubled times and we need something to help us. Yes. Something good for us. Something what the people of Gotham need. Not, yeah. Not what they deserve. Not what they deserve, yeah. Uh, so, uh, in Slash of Lake, so you guys both played in it. Uh, what was your, what were your favorite moments or highlights of the game? For- well, yeah, go ahead. Honest, I, honestly, any basically any scene with any of Caleb's characters was just yeah great. The uh, the triplets, the triplets, the triplets were yeah. very good. Yeah, it, I, I like. I think I liked it when my secondary character, my chef, died. I, his last <laughs> words were al dente. Yeah, I'm still not sure why. I don't know why either, but it worked. It just came to me. It was a model. It was basically, uh, for those of you who like the uh, World of Darkness games I've run, uh, is the Derek Bishop Chronicles, uh, Anderson Island, and uh, Inherit, which I haven't posted yet, uh, but it was in one of the the Base Raiders Kickstarter bonus uh, batch. it's a 1980s modeled horror thing. So the setting was it's on South Padre Island, some spring break slash skeptics convention. Uh, which, ha- which, which is a thing. Yeah, which is, a, well, there's spring break college students there, and there's a skeptics convention going on at the same time. Like Their scheduler did. was bad. There wa- it was bad. And, of course, in order yeah. to disprove the supernatural, the skeptic had to enact a dark occult ritual, which summoned, of course, a very bad person. So yeah, or thing. Uh, it was my, yeah, it was my turn to do the funny accent in the game. David did very well the last time. It's true. Yeah. So I did the I I think all of us we really fully embraced the horror movie aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My only complaint with Sasha Flick is you guys were rolling too well. For uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I really wanted to kill more characters. But well, like, you know, Ross, you the killed, dice the dice didn't want you to. Yeah. You killed far and away above half of us. Yeah. No, I, I killed quite a few, and we don't want to. I don't want to give the final body count around. <laughs> you have to wait till I post the episode. Yeah. But and of yeah. course, I love it with with the characters playing rich people. There was so much mm, glorious racism. <laughs> oh God. Magnifique. Yeah, eighties horror film tropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I had to stop giving away genre points for those. That kind <laughs> of, uh, no, I'm not going to say what the what line that it was spoken. It's coming on in the episode. I'm when, when it's you coming. Yeah, episode, I don't want to say it now, but yeah, it's it's probably one of the best lines we've ever come up with. Uh, and just an update on the Better Angels campaign that Bill and I are playing oh, through. Man. Uh, oh shit! We yeah. are doing some fun things in there. Uh, <laughs> So in the latest episode, we ripped off the lows. Yeah, we we did. We're totally we're teaching gang members to, to flip, flip houses, and yeah. we're gonna sell their they're gonna sell our souls so they can learn how to flip houses. Yep, and yes, they are. They are totally awesome like that. And what I like though is Caleb figured out. Uh, uh, for those of you listening to the Wild Talents, here's a new, new Arcadia campaign, the Skyrim uh, annual episode that Caleb ran. He worked in the same game mechanics for this episode. Uh, of better angels which uh to say basically uh enemies that leveled up with the players in other words and my character found out that in very hard way so 
that was fun. And then finding out why that zombies were attacking us in the first place because a teenager had a crush on a girl. And there is no more powerful force in the universe it is than, pretty, a, it was than a kid pining over a very girl. Very Shakespearean. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, good. Something something to hit for you to listen to when I uh, whenever I get around to posting that. Maybe at some point. I am a monster. Ross is a monster <laughs> who is also horrible. Uh, so, yeah. So this is true. We'll see you guys at Gen Con. Uh, we'll have, of course, our next episode will be a Gen Con wrap up. I know I said in the comments that the next episode, uh, that this episode is going to be another review of modern scenarios, but I think we're going to go buy some good scenarios at, or some modern scenarios at Gen Con. Then we could, Tom and I can read each of them. Uh, yes, we will we, do that again. Yeah, yeah. Was- we will do that again, but for more up to date. I'm thinking maybe a Pathfinder and then maybe a Trail of Cthulhu uh, scenario or something like that. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll find some good stuff. If I there. find a Palladium scenario. No, no, no. Good scenarios, modern scenarios. Oh, like, that's like right. Good. Contrast of like what, like we, we talked about scenarios are written like back then, but we'll do one for one scenarios. Well, that if are I can find out, well, I'll get one, but if I can find a Palladium scenario written recently, I'm so going to get that. You, people call me the monster. They call I learned me. it from watching you, Ross. <laughs> I see how it is. All right. So, Billy, you're the guest. Any, any final thoughts before we, we go? No? No. Locally grown. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been RPPR, episode 90, Theater of the Mind. I'm Ross Payton, and we've with, with me has been Tom Church and Bill. So we will Say hi, Bill, again. Yes. Uh, hi, Bill, again. We will yeah. see you guys next time.